0: Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It is the Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. plan means the experts are in the room. I'm just the host. Again, it's Tommy Ashley. That's Jason Staples on your screen. If you're watching on YouTube, that is Greg Barnes. If you're watching on YouTube at the bottom, or at least maybe. I'm not sure how they're organized. That's how they look on mine. It's already going to be that kind of show tonight. So I'm going to start with Greg and let the smart guys talk. Greg, Carolina coming off a loss at Virginia Tech. Georgia State's coming in. Georgia State got killed by Army. Uh, I don't know how much you can get from either game. Um, but Carolina's got some issues to fix. My general question to you before we get into the nuts and bolts is, is this the weekend Carolina can find some of the answers they're looking for?
1: Uh, it better be. I mean, if not, it's going to be a, a long season, and our, our preseason predictions are going to be way off. Um, Georgia State, Sean Elliott's done a good job with that program. Uh, you know, it's, it's a quality team for their level. Uh, but this is one that North Carolina is a legitimate top 25 team, like we all think. North Carolina should be able to get healthy in terms of confidence. Uh, they should be able to get some things working, clean up some of the c- communication issues that plagued them in Blacksburg. Uh, and most importantly, get a lot of those young guys, more reps. So they feel good about themselves and they're not having to play against really stout uh, Virginia tech cornerbacks or, or physical guys up front or uh, you know, some of the defensive ends that Virginia tech threw at North Carolina last week. So um this is not a game that North Carolina can take lightly. I mean, this is this is not a Western Carolina type game, but this is a game that North Carolina uh, should handle their opponent quite well. But more than more than anything, Tommy, um, you, you have to come into this game and you have to execute better. You have to understand what your mistakes were. You have to have learned from those mistakes, and you have to show that you are the team uh, they, that you said you were coming into the year. That you are that top ten team. Um, and you have to execute in that manner. And that's, that's a, about confidence uh, it's, it's execution It's the coaching staff kind of doing what they need to do. So more than we, we can talk about Georgia state for sure. Uh, but this is about North Carolina. This is about them kind of stepping out of that, the ash from, from Blacksburg and really doing what they need to do to, to kind of get things started back. Right. And mean, we saw it happen in 2015, they came off that bad loss against South Carolina. We didn't know exactly what was going to take place. They had a good week of practice, which they've had this week, and then they kind of got things rolling. And I think all expectations were for that to happen for North Carolina this week.
0: Man, just imagine if they were playing Elon, the Ash regi- the Ash See? reference. Yeah, we're going good here. <laughs> Get Jason giggling. Uh, Jason, something that I thought about, um, one of the questions I – Pondered as I did my daily walk is building confidence versus having confidence versus building confidence. Uh, all football players generally have some confidence, but can you legitimately build confidence if you don't actually do what you're supposed to do, if you don't actually execute? How does that work in the football mind? Um, these guys have come off the Virginia Tech game. They didn't play well. Some of them did not play well, especially on say the offensive line. So how are those guys? where's that mindset as far as their confidence going into this game?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would say that you can build you can have and build a, a sort of um, confidence even when you're not doing things right. But it's not the kind of confidence that's going to last or stand up to, when things aren't going well, lots of people actually have success when they're not doing the right, doing things the right way. But then what happens is when you come to a time where you actually have to do it the right way in order to succeed, your confidence is going to break down because you're not used to, to having that. So, so yeah, you can have that, but I, I think the, the main sort of direction of your question here. Is that this is a team that needs to, that has a number of younger players that need to experience some success doing the right things in order to really be sort of liberated from the thinking that they're doing on the field. That's really so much about confidence. You're people talking about confidence and, and the importance of confidence, and it's so important for, for sports. But one of the things that you really have to think about what makes confidence. Confidence, and what makes it so important in in, uh, in team sports is that it's what f- it's what allows you to function without that extra sort of uh, executive function governor uh, on you, so that you're you're basically able to respond and react rather than having to think, respond, and then react. Where you're always going to be a beat or two slow. The guy who's done this 150 times and he's done it right can finally go just, you know, throw it to me this way. And that's how I'm going to catch it. <laughs> Either, there's no or you've re, you've you've repped this a thousand times in practice where when this corner bails and I'm running this route, then I adjust my steps and I sit down here. I'll give you a good actually a good example of this from my limited experience in college football i think this would have been my freshman year uh might have been my sophomore year but i think it was my freshman year uh we got to toward the end of the spring and yeah this definitely would have been my freshman year um we got toward the end of the spring and we were we'd had so many receiver injuries as often happens in spring you you especially in those days spring was very very physical uh we actually had shirts done of i i i uh for the guys that finished all 15 spring practices that didn't miss a practice because that was a, uh, <laughs> that was a, a badge of honor with how physical our spring practices were. But we, we were down so many wide receivers that somehow for the, for one scrimmage, I found myself running with the starters. You know, that, that was that felt pretty good for the moment, but there was a moment in that scrimmage where there was a, a corner blitz over top of me. And I knew that I was supposed to, to route adjust on that and that I was supposed to turn it into a, into a little hitch route. I knew that. And yet when I saw the guy, the, the corner had disguised it well enough that I didn't see it right away. Like I didn't see it pre-snap. I didn't know for sure that he was going. And when he left at the snap, I was getting ready to run another route. And then I knew to sit down. But at the same point, there was enough... Going on in my head of like, I'm thinking through what I have to do at this moment. And I did the right thing, but I also faded a little bit in my route because I was just not ready to stick the foot in the ground and, and, and hit that route the way that the the way that it needed to be crisply. And the ball ended up a little bit low because of that, because I was a yard deeper than I need to be needed to be having drifted the quarterback threw it just a little bit low. And I ended up dropping the football, had my opportunity to have a catch running with the ones, against the ones, and blew it. Why? Because I was a true freshman and really didn't have any idea what I was doing. Even when I did have, I mean, I could draw it up for you on the board, no problem. But the confidence of having repped that a hundred times in that situation where that guy disappears and all of a sudden I know I just sit down here, no problem, and just catch it and go, that wasn't there yet. It would have taken a few more reps for me to be that confident in it. And I hadn't had those reps. That's what you're trying to get at. And yeah, that that can only really be built through actual reps. Now, some guys get that a little faster than others. Some guys are a little bit more cerebral and think through it longer. Other guys, you know, just are blessed to be, you know, they rep it three or four times and they're already getting it. This is one of the reasons why some freshmen play a little bit earlier than others is because it's, those are the guys that for some reason, they're just wired to be able to do it. They don't think about it. They just, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And they can just do it. Those savants can play earlier. I was not one of those savants, even though I, you know, I, I could draw it all up on the chalkboard. It takes reps. That's the kind of thing that you're trying to develop with the confidence. And it takes doing it right And knowing like, okay, that's what I did the last time. And not even having to think that's what I did the last time. It becomes muscle memory of a sort. It's, you know, it's built in memory so that you're operating by that instead of any other thing. And that's when you can play fast and when you can actually play well.
0: Greg, the coach's challenge this week, um, building those young guys' confidence, but correcting some older guys' mistakes specifically on the offensive line. I mean, we're not gonna see a, a huge rotation or, or see change at any position. And and there's some questions that have popped up on social media that I want to ask you guys, but how does a coach, how does the coaching staff get, you know, Matt Brown talks about correction day and they do all this stuff all week, but they gotta see it in, in the game. How do you how do you measure against a Georgia State team who is decent? How do you fix those in live action versus getting other guys reps? You follow what I'm trying to ask yeah. is how do you make that balance to sort of accomplish everything you're trying to
1: accomplish in a game? Well, you go into this game, your, your, your goal is to win the game, right? And so you're going you're gonna to attack it just like you attacked Virginia Tech. You're not going to go into this game thinking, okay, well, this is a game we should win. We're going to split up reps like this. Now you probably have an idea of if we get ahead and we're up by four touchdowns going into the fourth quarter, we're able to make sure that these guys get a bulk of the reps. Um, But what will happen is, I mean, what what North Carolina does is the day after games uh, they'll sit down have a film study session and they go out on the field and they do walkthroughs in which they do the corrections and they make sure the guys see it on film, and then they get to experience it kind of in the walkthrough of understanding, okay, I saw it on film, now I've got to kind of physically go through it. And it's just kind of a mental rep for them. Um, but as they come into this game, I mean, it's it's about the starting offensive line, and it's about the wide receivers understanding, Emory Simmons, Antoine Green, understanding what they need to do better and really trying to execute that on game day. Um, and then if you're able to build a lead, then you can say, okay, Javari Ritzy played a handful of snaps. He looked pretty good in Blacksburg. Uh, came on Rucker, only Dang. played five snaps, but but he looked good. He got a sack in the five snaps that he played. So you're going to maybe work those guys in a little bit more to get them some more experience. Uh, and then if you build a big lead, then you can start doing some more wholesale changes and getting more guys reps. Uh, but you're not at a point yet where you're you're thinking just about getting young guys opportunities. You got to make sure your your blues and your whites, your you're too deep, it's clicking on all cylinders and that they, they feel better about themselves. They're executing better, all those kind of things. Uh, and if you can't get those things done, especially early, that's a problem. And you're going to keep those guys in there a lot longer. Uh, but if everything goes according to plan, you come out, you execute a lot better, you look good, you build a big lead, that allows a lot of these younger guys to get more opportunities. Um, coaches, they have in the back of their mind, right? But it's not like fans think. Where well, fans are like, "Well, just put all the the freshmen and the five star guys in the second quarter and let them play, and and they'll figure it out." It's not quite that easy.
0: That is, uh, that's where I was going with you, Jason. Is you know the the fans are like. Oh you know should they switch up the scheme you know should they should they (laughs) run 4-3 instead of 3-4 or whatever on defense and all that I mean it's about perfecting what you do Um, Jason offensively will stay on that side of the ball Sam Howell needs to play better Uh, I don't think there's any question Uh, it's all connected but let's talk about the wide receivers a little bit you broke down um, some plays, and it's one of the most fascinating things for me to look at on inside Carolina is your breakdowns. So, how does how does that translate week to week when these guys get corrected? They see their corrections, and how much of the mistake did you see? A loss of technique against Virginia Tech can be corrected in a week or how much of it was nerves in the first game of being on the big stage you know how does that progress for guys like emory simmons and antoine green even garrett wallston who um, could have played better uh, against virginia tech we can't talk about josh downs doing anything else i mean he's going to have 12 to 1500 yards like i told y'all he would in the preseason. So uh, lean on that one, Tommy. I'm going to lean, lean, on, that on, that. Hey, I lean got on that. Lean on that right. preseason
2: prediction. <laughs> yeah. One right. But yeah, how does it work for, for your skill guys like that, Jason? Well, I mean, again, it, it varies a little bit with, with players on how quickly you can make corrections, how quickly things take. Uh, I, I'm confident <laughs> that these have been a point of emphasis. Some of the things that I pointed out have been a point of emphasis this week. Now, is that something that changes the next time that you're on the field in that situation? When, you know, if you look at Emery Simmons, you go back to the Notre Dame game last year when he mossed the Notre Dame corner in the end zone. He used the technique that he used, the same jump ball technique of just going up and and grabbing it like a basketball uh, that he used against Virginia Tech that ultimately cost him a touchdown. So, you know, he's already he's already had some success with that. And odds are this is the way he's he's done it ever since he was, you know, ever since he played wide receiver because he was always bigger, faster and stronger than everybody else. And you can just go up and do that. Again, the point of the, the problem is once you get against once you go against players that are that are as good as you or even better than you, you have to actually do it differently in certain scenarios and, and use technique to, to win. Sometimes it's as, it's as quick as, well, I finally am seeing on film. (laughs) I'm finally, I finally experienced that this didn't work for me in this scenario. And yeah, we've been working on this in practice for years and coach has been requiring that I do it this way for years, but that's in drills. And every time we get into the, into the game, I do it differently. I just do it my way. Now, maybe I trust the other way. Maybe if you've, you know, if you've repped it enough and you know, you get in that situation, maybe there's just something that extra thing that clicks to, to, to do it the right way the next time, maybe other times it just takes longer. I mean, it's sort of like a swing change in golf. I mean, you, you can do it on the range for weeks on end and then you get out there on the course and all of a sudden you're, Swinging exactly like you did before the swing change, or worse, you're kind of stuck in between them, and you're in the trees most of the round. Because
1: and it then, matters. Listen to yeah. Greg.
2: Look, you have made Greg Barnes light up. We
0: already <laughs> yeah. talked about his future it,
2: PGA tour caddy. And and then and then you get it to where you can finally do it on the course. Oh man, finally! I'm you know the range has gotten to the course. Everything's great, and then you play in a tournament. And tournament golf is a whole different thing from playing on the course in a practice. round, (laughs) And so then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're doing fine. You know, swing change is good. And then that seventh swing of the round, all of a sudden you feel your body, like it's an octopus falling out of a tree doing exactly the opposite thing that you're supposed to be doing. And you feel it on the downswing and you're going inside, you're having this horrified, no, as you're swinging and the ball goes into the trees once again, this, this, is, this is exactly how this works when you're trying to learn these new techniques and do things the right way at different points. When you've had a lot of success doing it the other way, it happens. So I'm curious to see how quickly some of these things can change. I'm confident that a guy like Emery Simmons and a guy like uh, Antoine Green, that those guys are capable of turning this around and having a ton of success this year on the outside. I'm confident of that. And I know that they're well coached. So it's just a matter of certain things clicking when the tournament round is, is going and not when you're in practice. And this, this week is a great opportunity for that because you have it happen the right way a couple of times in games. And that, that starts to seal that in to where now your body's convinced that you're actually doing it the right way. And that can be, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of getting it to work for one game. And then for the rest of the the rest of your life, you can actually do it right every time. So it's tricky. It is. Uh. So staying on the offensive side
0: of the ball before we take a break, Greg, I'm going to ask our first Twitter question, <laughs> Chapway Entertainment. Should we... Um, should UNC change their running scheme based on the personnel at running back to a more power-based scheme and not so much zone, utilizing double tight sets for running game and pass? Uh, what is the likelihood of Phil Longo and Mac Brown changing the approach to the running game after one bad day in Blacksburg? And I don't even think it was a bad day when you're talking about the running game. but
1: No, I mean, it's you're going to have bad games. Um, you're going to have games where things don't work the way you want them to, uh, where there are mistakes made kind of across the board, all these things. that happens. Um, but Phil Longo is in Chapel Hill because he runs something similar to what Lincoln Riley does at Oklahoma, which is what Mac Brown wanted. It was an air raid passing attack blended with a power running game. Um, you're not going to see many two tight end sets in what Phil Longo wants to do. I mean, we've talked a lot about the tight end not getting a lot of run in the, the offense anyway the last couple of years. Uh, the idea of what Phil Longo wants to do is to space you out horizontally, which is what Larry Fedora was good at, but also vertically. Uh, and that, That's what this is based upon. And then you add in some, some pulling schemes for your, your running attack and you get some power uh, in play there. That's what Phil does. That's what Mac Brown wants. That's not going to change after, especially after one game. Um, uh, it, it was a bad game. I mean, just let's just acknowledge that's what it was. Uh, they'll learn from it, they'll get better. Uh, the scheme's not changing.
0: Yeah, I, uh, the question I, I asked it, I said I was going to ask social media questions. I did. Um, good answer. Let's and talk about Johnny. I'm gonna, t- I'm go, gonna ahead. Add, go ahead. I'm gonna before add I do more my here. favorite read, I'm gonna add more here. I might let you do
2: the Johnny t shirt read after you add. Mm. Mm. Go ahead. Uh, uh. So I think part of the problem here is that this question misunderstands some things about the difference between zone scheme and power. The so first of all, Longo runs the heck out of power. <laughs> A lot of the runs that they ran against Virginia tech were power. Oh, I mean, that's, it's the power, it's power, the power run play. It's what it's called. It's power. Uh, and not zone stuff. They ran some zone. They also ran power and counter, which are gap blocking schemes. So it's not like they're transi- They need to transition from more zone running scheme to power based scheme, because they already run a large amount of power. Uh, and double tights, of course, has nothing to do with whether you're running zone or power. In fact, a lot of teams that run primarily zone are double tight teams. The NFL, when it, when those teams go to double tight, they're running they're running some sort of zone or or, or uh, in many cases duo, but they're which is a, a version of zone that kind of brings some power some concepts over from power, but it's still zone. Basically, they're running zone or duo when they're running two tight sets as often as not, rather than power. So, I think there's a, there's a misconception a lot of times that putting bigger personnel on the field means you're running more power-based schemes as opposed to zone-based schemes, which are, you know, finesse for when you've got more receivers on the field. And n- none of that's the case. And like Greg said, the, your offense is your offense. When you, if you want to see a bad, bad, bad football team, find a team where the coaches change the scheme week to week. Same the bad. best football teams, the best football teams, the only competent football teams are teams that have a clear identity who they are they have well-defined schemes that are what they run and at most they add a wrinkle here or there based on opponent to their to what they already have in so it's a it's based on their their scheme on what they already do if you're changing week to week you're going to be a bad team indeed
0: now let's talk about johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com they are sponsors of the Inside Carolina Podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina premium subscribers because you get 10% off their order. You got football gear. They got plenty of the jerseys. Uh, they got plenty of swag. You can get anything you want. Um, I'm sure they'll probably be around in the Bowls lot this weekend. Uh, and you get 10%, but they also have basketball, and they've got tennis and men's and women's soccer, anything you could ever want at the store and online. Support them. They support us. And like I said, go to the premium board and get your code to get that 10% off. They'll bring it straight to your door if you need it, or you can visit them on Franklin Street. Take another short break. Let the National Guys pay the bills. We'll be right back. Game Plan Podcast, Georgia State version. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. I'm going to come to Jason. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. We talked about getting guys more reps on the defensive line this week. I do think we need to see Cayman Rucker more. Um, I'd like to see, Maybe Clyde Pender gets some more reps. Whatever they need to do to get those guys in there. Uh, but I'm going to ask a question. Jared McCullen on Twitter asked, should there be more rotation at linebacker? I would, same type question I asked Greg about the offensive scheme. What's the chances of having more rotation, especially at inside linebacker for Jay Bateman's defense? I'd say it's next to
2: that number you see on the screen. Yeah, my answer to that question is no. No, there should not be more of a rotation at linebacker. And you want me to elaborate on this, so I will. The linebacker position on defense, that inside linebacker position is like the quarterback position on offense. As a general rule, if you have a rotation at the quarterback position, what does that mean? You don't have any. (laughs) that means you don't have a stud quarterback it's like asking well you know should we see more of you know Criswell and May you know maybe maybe we need to you know have Sam Howell take more breaks during the game Mm, you know I I just don't think that's gonna really be conducive to winning that question's coming just to let you know (laughs) yeah so you want to you want to have your the guys who are who are holding the glue to the defense you want those guys on the field as much as possible and as a rule that's just not a position where there's going to be a ton of rotation now sometimes you're going to you're going to get this or that guy in situationally like maybe you know it's a third down situation and you've got a better coverage guy for a matchup that you like and you get that guy in there if they're not in in hurry up no huddle you know it's possible but as a rule if you've got decent linebackers. If you got quality linebackers on the field, you want to leave those guys on the field until they, you know, tap out. And generally speaking, those guys aren't going to tap out. So it, is, it just is what it is. And, and in this kind of game, you're going to see young guys, but it's not going to be a rotation. You're going to see the older guys play and they'll play basically until it's time for the younger guys to start getting reps because the, the, the lead is big enough. So you'll see some young guys play in this game if things go right. But not because they're rotating, more because they're trying to get those guys reps to, you know, give them uh, experience because they're going to be playing next year, some. So simple as that.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a ninety-nine to one percent deal with Gimmel and Asante all year, unless something happens on the injury front. Greg, as far as the defensive secondary, I mean, we haven't talked about them that much um, this week because I thought they were pretty solid against Virginia Tech. Where are areas of improvement there from week one to week two for Jay Bateman's group and Dre Bly's group? I mean, Tony Grimes is what he is, um, and Carolina put those guys on an island several times, but how did they improve from uh, Labor Day weekend to this weekend?
1: Well, I think the the key person there, and he kind of told us himself Tuesday, is, for as much as we saw uh, out of Ja'Curius Conley that you like, he didn't think he played especially well. Um, he had some tackling issues. Uh, you know, I think coverage was a problem at times, and it's his first game back there at safety. So uh, I think he especially will, will grow and learn from how he played on Friday night. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to like what you what you saw at cornerback. The fact Storm Duck did not play. Uh, you know, he's just had such a, an odd last year uh, for this defense to, to really be as good as they can be. He needs to be back so they can they can give uh, Grimes and McMichaels some some more rest without any kind of drop off. That'd be significant. Um, but I mean, Trey Morrison is a is a kid that yeah. Uh, you know, I think people have discounted him this year over year. And you kind of think, yeah, well, you know what? He's he's a small guy. He's not going to. This is going to be a year that he kind of takes the back seat. And I thought he played well on Friday night. So um, they've got a very, very solid core back there. And I think Jay Bateman has done a good job with that group. And that's going to be – those guys are the reason that he can be more creative up front. And Jason did a good job highlighting that on one of his uh, film breakdowns. If you got guys that you trust that are on, on the edge and you can put them on an island – you have a ton of flexibility with whatever you want to call on the inside, and uh, I, I think we saw that a little bit on Friday, and uh, we'll see more of it in the weeks to come.
0: Let me ask a question that somebody asked on the message board. And I asked you this, Jason: It why are and it, I heard this on another podcast, but why are adjustments mostly made at halftime? Why are why is halftime? When adjustments are made for, say, Jay Bateman or or coordinators, and not on the fly, more often than not, how does that work? Well, first of all, I
2: don't think that's true. <laughs> so, I so, just asked the questions. Yeah, I don't think that's actually true. Uh, there are adjustments between every drive, and even sometimes during drives. And so, you know that that's how, I mean. How often do you look on the sideline and you see a coach with a whiteboard that's working with his guys on this or that? I mean, it's all the time. There are adjustments being made constantly through the game. Now, periodically, if the team comes in with some tendencies that they've shown in the past that you've prepared the, the majority of your – that you've done the majority of your preparation for, and then they just are repeatedly breaking those – those tendencies or they're using different formation groups and that sort of thing, then what halftime allows you to do is it allows you to get your whole defense together or your entire position groups together after the coaches have spent five minutes or so getting a chance to talk and, you know, go through what we need to do to be able to say, okay, here are some big picture things that we need to get done. And here's some, some minor, here's some, some details that are going to go a long way to getting this fixed to make sure that everything is coordinated together in a way that you really don't have the opportunity to do as much on the sideline on the fly, because you don't have everybody there. I mean, okay. The offense is out there for four plays. You had a chance to talk to your guys for, for, for about two and a half minutes and you worked with them on the whiteboard as quick as you could, but you're still basically doing what you've done at the half, you can go over a few more things and sort of hammer some things home that, that you're not able to do to the same degree on the sideline. But again, like I said, there are adjustments that are happening every drive, even play to play that are constantly constantly happening. Those adjustments aren't always noticed. And oftentimes what will happen is you'll see adjustments that will finally take shape when the offensive side is finally out of its script which might be three drives in and then by about the middle of the second quarter you're starting to see these teams have made they've made their adjustments and they're settled in but it just kind of gets lost that well those are the last you know two drives of the of the half and they just kind of get ignored and lumped in with this with the second half stuff and you think well they made the adjustment in halftime so it's a little bit of It doesn't just happen at halftime and a little bit of what adjustments you can make. You can make bigger adjustments and, and be more confident in the adjustments that you make because of the extra time that you get at halftime. So it's kind of a both and and an either nor (laughs) Greg Barnes. Another
0: question off uh, social media. Uh, How many quarterbacks play this week?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, it's got to be two, right? Unless it's just a complete blowout.
0: How many quarterbacks need to play this week?
1: Well, three probably. I mean, it'll be interesting. Uh, I saw Jason flash up three fingers there. Um, You get into the fourth quarter, do you you just alternate series? Is that the plan, Jason, do you think?
2: It depends on – what you where you think these players are on the pecking order if you feel like Criswell or May has been significantly better than the other guy then maybe you give him two or three drives before you give the other guy a drive uh you know it's possible that they feel like May is far enough behind just being you know further further being a a year behind in, in the system that they say, well, we need to we need to make sure that Criswell gets enough reps that if Sam goes down, he's gonna be the next guy. So he's got to get at least three drives, you know, once we're up by this amount, if if possible. And so, you know, maybe he takes his three drives and then you get you give May his first action where, you know, he steps in and hands it off in the final drive or two. Maybe. But if you feel like they're real close, then you know depending on a lot depends on when you actually start to feel like you can, you can make that substitution. I mean, if you're up 49 to nothing in the middle of the third quarter, maybe you, maybe you go ahead and you make that, that swap right there. But if you're only, you know, if you're, if you're still trying to hammer some things out offensively, if you're really just still trying to get Sam Howell, some, some rhythm with his, with his receivers, and you're, you're trying to get those guys confident so that when you go to the next game, which, is going to be more of a fight, and you're going to have to have those guys winning those battles, catching from Howell, and maybe it's only twenty, you know, twenty-seven to seven or something like that in the middle of the third quarter. Then maybe you have Howell go through, you know, the early fourth quarter, and in, in which case you might only have two, three drives to give, and and in that in that context, maybe you you just you you've decided this is going to be the guy that would most likely step in if Howell gets hurt. He's going to get a couple drives, and that's that. So it depends a little bit on how quickly you're able to build a lead provided you're able to do that. Things go well and how quick and and where you actually think the, the young guys are in relation to one another. And you just kind of, this, this is the discussion that you're having as staff during the week is you're saying, okay, let's game plan this. If we're up by this much and things are starting to look good, when do we make the, when do we make the change and how many drives do we try to get each guy and all this, how do we prepare for that? And the answer to that is that the coaching staff doesn't know they're going to have some contingencies in place, depending on those, those factors that I just mentioned.
0: Greg, last question before we get to the prediction portion is will this game tell me who my favorite player is? And I hate this and I feed it and I hate it. I had people ask me this crap at Virginia Tech like at Virginia tech asking me, thank you, Buck. I know you're listening. Thank you, Buck Sanders for hanging the backup quarterback albatross.
1: I've got bad news. I don't think it's going to be this week. (laughs) I think it's coming. I think it's coming, but I don't think it's going to be this week. Um, I wanted to share a few notes about rotation. If if we're good with that defensive uh, defensive wise, we've talked a lot about the need to, for North Carolina to rely more on defensive players and, and their, their talent and building depth and all those things that we've, we've heard Mac Brown talk about. Um, Jason's point about the linebackers there was, was valid. Uh, but if you look about just the entire defense, I went back and looked at the South Carolina game in 2019, which had 64 defensive snaps. Uh, the game on Friday night only had 63. So very similar, both competitive games, the last minute. Uh, and in 2019, there were 14 Tar Heels who played at least 12 defensive snaps. On Friday night, 19 played at least 12. So 35% increase. That's pretty solid. 2019, seven players played 87% of the potential snaps. Uh, and on Friday night, only four played more than 85%. Um, so you're seeing there uh, the growth in the roster. You're seeing there the development and the trust and being able to rotate more guys. And I know some fans probably watched the game and said, well, we didn't see Keyshawn Silver. We didn't see a lot of these other guys that we've heard about. Why aren't they rotating more? Well, they are. And a lot of these guys are getting you know, a lot more snaps. If we talked to the night, Tommy, uh, Raymond Vahasek got 41 snaps pretty good for your starting nose tackle when there's 63 snaps in the game um so as this season goes along and as some of these young guys uh get in and get five snaps here 10 snaps there their minutes will increase provided they continue to get better and so you'll see even more guys be able to play uh but at the end of the day you got to ride your horses um and so the hasics who they think is their best nose tackle He's going to continue to see a lot of snaps. And that's just kind of how it works out. You just have more options. You have more more guys to look at say, okay, well, Ritzy, he's come on. We think he's ready to, to maybe take 25 snaps. Yeah, maybe we get to that Miami game and, and he's seeing a lot more action. Uh, but Jay Bateman's doing a better job building that depth. He's doing a better job getting those guys into the game. And that's going to pay off not only this year, not only this week, next week, but into the future where he's going to have a lot of options.
2: And I'm going to add one more thing here. If you look at those four players who played all, you know, 60 or more snaps in this game, what positions were they? Inside linebacker and corners. Two linebackers, one corner, and Conley at safety. The thing about those positions is those are positions where you're generally going to want your dudes to not come off the field. And guess what? That's great. Whereas if you look at the, the prior years, you look a couple of years ago, the guys that couldn't come off the field were the guys up front because they didn't have anybody to, to substitute for those guys. And where you want to rotate the most is in the trenches because your, your guys are going to get exhausted, get gassed from just getting leaned on. And that's when you start to give up runs and, and not be able to get pressure on the quarterback late in games and that sort of thing they're able to rotate at the most important spots where you need to rotate. And then they're not rotating as much as at the spots where if you've got a dude, you don't rotate. Yeah. I mean, do you really want Tony Grimes coming off the field? I don't think so. So he played 63 snaps. Go figure. Right? That guy, you don't want to rotate him off. And I, I should say, by the way, Dana Hollins played a good football game when he came in and, you know, he played 20 snaps, I think it was. Uh, 22 snaps. I'm looking at it now. Uh, coming in for uh, Kyler McMichael rotating in there, and I thought Hollins played well when he came in. So overall, so you know that's another good sign that you've got really the fourth corner in the rotation once Duck is back coming in and, and being able to play well.
0: One of the most fascinating stats from two years ago is, um, and it's ballparking a bit, but like Strowbridge and Crawford played double the number of snaps, snaps that Clemson's starting two defensive
2: tackles did. Carolina's getting there. They ain't there yet. Um, well, Clemson so, starters, I think, that year averaged something like 41 or 42 snaps per game. Yeah, I think. How, when how many did Will have this game? 41, yeah. Forty. Oh, interesting, huh?
0: Getting there. Getting <laughs> there. Let's talk about some predictions here on the Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Don't forget us inside Carolina Live in the Bowls lot uh, before the game and then the post game show sponsored by Blue Shark with Ross Martin and Sean Dron. Greg Barnes, I'll let you go first. Uh, predictions, expectations, um, accomplishments. What needs to happen for Carolina on Saturday night to come away um, in a good spot?
1: I think this is a good game for North Carolina. Uh, Georgia State's had some success, they won a bowl game last year. Returned 20 starters from that team that went six and four. Uh, they got an aggressive defense. Uh, they've got a, a dual-threat quarterback who's, who's pretty good. Got a really good running back. So this is going to test North Carolina. I think that's what they need. Uh, but but North Carolina is a four-touchdown favorite for a reason. I think the offense and Sam Howell are going to bounce back and have a lot of success. So I've got North Carolina winning this one 49-14. to 14.
0: 49 14 for Greg Barnes where are you going Jason 48 16 48 15
2: <laughs> no, I think the I think the defense uh, might have a little a, a little bit more success than 14 points I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with a, a, a little bit fewer points scored I mean they did give up 43 to Army so you know but they were they were missing five starters and in, including some of their their better players there so I'm gonna go with uh, I'm going to go with 44 to a 45 to uh, to 10 North Carolina in this game, and I think that the key here is Carolina's defense being able to limit the running game and really forcing Georgia State uh, forcing um uh Georgia State to uh, to throw throw the football when they when they don't necessarily want to when they're off schedule. I think that that'll make a big difference. And I think the defense is starting to turn a corner. And, and I expect to see that uh, take all the more shape in this game.
0: Greg Barnes, somehow over under four touchdowns.
1: Over under? Mm-hmm. You can I push. Mean, yeah, I'll push. How's that?
2: Push. I'm going push. with a push as well. Taz Chandler. Taz Chandler, think,
0: 100 yards.
2: Under.
1: Under, yeah. Josh Downs, how many yards, Tommy? One
0: hundred and fifty. <laughs> One hundred and fifty and two
2: touchdowns. Are we talking total or receiving?
0: Uh, I'll say receiving because they'll do that little, you know, that little toss sweep thing. Hey,
1: Tommy, here's a here's a little <laughs> trivia quiz. I mentioned the South Carolina game in 2015. Why is South Carolina relevant this week?
0: Uh, somebody coaching something or another.
1: Georgia State's head coach Sean, Sean Elliot took yep. over for Steve Spurrier in 2015.
0: Yeah, yep. he was an interim coach there. I, He's uh, a good coach, and it's App State and, guy, yeah. And Mac had Ty Chandler talk to the team to say, "Look, these boys beat us at yeah. Tennessee." Is that <laughs> no? That was Florida that was blocking the same two Florida guys that were blocking each other. That was yeah. against Georgia Southern though. I get my wrong directional schools. I'll save my prediction for Inside Carolina Live from the Bowls lot. I believe we're 4.30 to 6.30 in the Bowls lot. So, if you listen to this, come out and join us. Get some swag. Visit. Get the question answered. Uh, if you get lucky, maybe get on air. Talk to Joey and myself. Post game with Ross Martin, Sean John, like I mentioned, sponsored by Blue Shark. This has been sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. That's Jason Staples. The other ball guy, Greg Barnes, with the head of hair that we all wish we could have. Not oh. me gentlemen i'm not going there uh it's been fun boys we'll get out of here now laters